Hello, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we experience life as friends with faith through encountering God, loving others, and making a difference in our community. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast where you can plug into Quest in person or online. Now let's dive into this week's teaching. Merry Christmas. I love our kids. They are so adorable, so amazing. I'm so grateful for all the people who serve there. Uh, we've been looking at through the series of names of Jesus, uh, titles of Jesus that Isaiah uses to prophesy about who Jesus is when he comes. And these names are an awful lot like birth announcements. So, so Wendy and I this last week ran across some birth announcements that, well, let's just say they're a little more realistic than idealistic. So one of them said, welcome to the world, little Sam. Mom and baby just survived the most traumatic event of their lives thus far, and for some reason, Dad is recovering. Another one said, I am thrilled to share that I am the mother of a beautiful baby girl. Like a new car driven off the lot, my parenting ability immediately depreciated 20% the second I actually had a kid. <laughs> right? Or how about this one, world meet Evelyn. Mommy was such a champ and is, unbeknownst to Daddy, newly celibate. None of guys have ever experienced that, right? Or what about this admission? After a difficult 48 hours of labor, I am now the proud mama to little Jeremiah. If anyone has seen my husband Dave, please tell him that I am so sorry, but I can never take those noises back. (laughs) And finally, one dad wrote, on September 8th, my wife brought baby Jax into the world. I love him more than I have ever loved absolutely anything. But if you subbed him out with any baby from the nursery, I wouldn't know the difference. In one of the most studied and celebrated Bible passages of Christmas, Isaiah actually announces the arrival of a child. Now, this birth announcement came 730 years before Jesus came, but let's read once again our core text in Isaiah 9 together. Read it with me. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, there were many, many birth announcements of Jesus uh, in the Old Testament. In fact, there are actually 300 prophecies about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, every single one of them fulfilled. There was one guy who's smarter than me who did the probability of that, saying if eight of 300 of them were fulfilled, that would be like one in 100,000 trillion. That's 17 zeros. Another one said if uh, there was 48, why why pick 48 out of 300? I have no idea. 488. 488, oh, oh. typo, Four, if, or, yeah, 488 out of 300, that would be really good, wouldn't it? That would be amazing. If 48 out of 300 were fulfilled, that would be like 10 to the 157th power, way, way too many zeros to put on there. Can you imagine the odds of all 300 of them, or 488 of the 300 being fulfilled? <laughs> That's a king above all kings, isn't it? When Isaiah prophesied these four descriptors of Jesus, what that means is we can trust that they're true. Today we're actually going to look at the last one, which is Prince of Peace. And I'd like you just for a minute to use your imagination. Maybe just close your eyes for a second. And I'd like you to imagine what peace looks like or feels like. Just let yourself sit with that a second. Okay, I'm going to be rude and interrupt that nice, peaceful place you just went to. What did you imagine? 
when I've had others tell me what their thoughts were about what peace looks like in, the, in that kind of a thing, they've said to me, oh, it looks like uh, a mad, they've imagined the top of a mountain covered in snow and no one had ever walked there. It was just pristine and beautiful. Another person shared that they saw they were in, a, in this field full of flowers with a tree in the middle of the field and they were there all alone and it was so peaceful. Someone else talked about being in the middle of a really big lake all alone, no one in sight, with everything calm and the sun shining. I don't know what your picture was, but notice all these pictures that people shared to me had one thing in common. There were no people <laughs> in any of them. So does that mean in order for us to have peace, we, can't, we have to eliminate everyone else? See, I don't think any of us want to not have people in our lives, but, but I think many of us do go to a place like that, and I think it shows a disconnect, maybe even a misunderstanding of peace, because... I consistently hear from others how stressed, how busy, how tired, and, and how ambitious we are for our dreams in life, but I rarely meet people who describe themselves as being totally at peace with themselves, with others, and with God, and with the world. It's a rare quality, and yet peace is something we celebrate at Christmas. Jesus came to give us peace. So what does the Prince of Peace really mean to you, to, to me, very personally? The purpose of this Advent series is to re-examine our understanding of God specifically through these names and, and the descriptors of God would not, more than just something to know, it's, it, it's, it, it, we want to close the gap between just what we know and understand and our experience of these names in our very lives. So in our everyday moments, where is Jesus, this Prince of Peace in your life? There's another well-known passage that was actually partially read just a little bit ago by the kids uh, that describes the Prince of Peace in Luke 2. We see the angels appearing, the angels telling the shepherds of his birth, and it reads, Fear not, for behold, I bring great good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was this angel multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And what? And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. See, as the Gospels unfold, we see Jesus' ministry being all about peace on earth, which is why at some point this Christmas we will sing this wonderful song, Silent Night. We're going to sing it tomorrow night at Christmas Eve. We'll sing it. I love that moment in candlelight. Do you remember the words? The words are silent night, holy light. All is calm, all is bright. Round young virgin, mother and child, holy infant so tender and mild. And then sing it with me. Sleep in heavenly peace, sleep in heavenly peace. And in reality, I don't think Jesus' birth experience was all that angelic or peaceful or romantic. I'm not sure anybody sleeping in that cold, stable kind of a cave was uh, really slept all that peacefully that night. But what is true is the promise that was given that peace on whom his favor rests would be a reality. This baby would establish peace for you with God and begin putting our world back together. So we want to look a little bit more at the definition of, of the Prince of Peace in our lives. There are 429 verses that specifically use the word peace in the Bible and up to 790 verses talk about aspects that relate to peace. So we're going to cover all 790 today, okay? <laughs> All right, no. Okay, no. But in Hebrew, the word Prince of Peace is called Sar Shalom. 
And Sar means the one who's in charge, um, the chief, the lord, the general. You know, Sar is where we eventually get the word czar or Caesar, like Julius Caesar. Nothing like Prince Harry, Prince William, okay. But although I know um, some people really, really appreciate that English one. Okay, so anyway, but the Tsar is the one who is in charge. Shalom means rest, tranquility, wholeness, completeness, and contentment. It's this kind of peace that isn't anything like the world can give. It is not superficial, fragile, or easily broken. And so to expand our understanding of peace, Jesus connects peace, this wholeness, to include physical healing. In Mark 8, Jesus was healing all who were sick and tells us that this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, that he, Jesus is referring to himself, took our illnesses and bore our diseases. I mean, and that's one of the things that is so special about communion, because you get to sit with the bread, and it's a symbol that Jesus' body was broken for you so that you and I could be made whole, both spiritually and physically. That same prophecy from Isaiah continues, and he tells us that the punishment, the beatings that left Jesus beyond recognition, um, that brought us and purchased us peace is on him, and it's by his wounds that we are healed. I mean, that's such a powerful place to sit in with communion. So Jesus is our Sar Shalom. He is our chief of contentment. He is the general of our wholeness. He is the Lord of all health. He is in charge of peace because he possesses all peace, which means that it's totally impossible for you and I to have true peace without connecting authentically in a relationship with Jesus. So we see this Prince of Peace as Jesus tells his followers about the Holy Spirit right before he goes to the cross. In John 14, Jesus says this. He says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So let's notice the key phrases here. My peace. It's not your peace. It's his peace that he gives you that I'm giving you, not as the world gives. I mean, whatever the world tells you, get this girl, get this guy, get this job, get ahead, get, get whatever you want in life, and, and that's when everything will be resolved and you'll have peace. Jesus says, no, this peace that I'm going to give you is not like the world gives you. I don't know about you, but for me, there's so many times in life I still struggle to find peace in my own efforts by what I try to do. We try to figure it out. We try to solve it on our own. We try to cope with life without the czar, without the prince of peace. And maybe you remember this. Do you remember the first words Jesus said to his disciples after his death and resurrection? He said, wow, isn't that impressive? No, he didn't say that. He said in John 20, peace be with you. And then it goes on and says, when he had said this, he showed them his hands in his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And then when he said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. See, the Prince of Peace is alive, bringing shalom to our lives, into the lives through giving of himself and his Holy Spirit to us. If peace is the calling card of Jesus, then why do we so often struggle with living in this place of peace? And what is really this peace that we're pursuing? So there's a story that was told of a king who commissioned two very famous painters to paint him a picture of peace. So both painters went away, they did their best, and they came back. And so then the king stood in a gallery, and the first painter revealed his picture. And it was a picture of a field where everything was still. There wasn't a single blade of grass that was moving. The water was still. The trees were still. Everything was still. And then the second painter revealed his painting, and it was a picture of a thunderous waterfall. 
similar to the one that we found here. Um, but the water was flowing off the top of it, up a huge cliff. It was falling, you know, hundreds of feet down. And as it hit the water, they're splashing in mist and going way back up. And it's a stormy night. Um, so which picture do you think the king chose as a symbol of peace for him? It was the second one, because the first one he knew didn't reflect true peace, because it looked more actually like stagnation. Nothing was moving. There was no life. But in the second picture, in all of the noise, the movement, the speed of the waterfall, if you look closely, you can see that there's a little bird that's resting underneath, and there's like baby chicks under her wing. I mean, it's very similar to that Psalm 91 where the, where the promise from God, where it says he will cover you with his feathers. He's going to shelter you with his wings. His faithful promises are your armor and protection. So in all of the speed, the movement, the power and harshness of life, it's peace. And isn't that the kind of peace that we're really searching for? So, but we wonder if we can actually find that peace, right? Paul tells us this. He says, for he himself is our peace. Peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace is, it's the presence of something better in its place. It's something better than a lack of conflict. So maybe think about it this way. When you get frustrated with your friend or, 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 your, or your kids and you blow up them, you say, shut up. You're actually just trying to end the conflict, right? That may shut, shut them up and the silence may ensue, and the lack of con- but the lack of conflict still doesn't feel good because the relationship has not been restored to the right relationship. See, a lack of conflict is not true shalom. It's not peace. You're left incomplete. It's not whole. Therefore, our goal in finding peace is not to be conflict-free. Uh, there's actually this other image of peace that, that helps us understand uh, peace in our brokenness. The word shalom in the Old Testament is often also used to describe a perfect stone uh, that has no cracks and a perfect wall that has no gaps in it. So a city made with these perfect stones would create a wall where the people could live in shalom. They could live in completeness, wholeness, full protection, security, and peace. No cracks, no gaps. Problem is we all, have, we all have cracks and gaps in our lives. Sin creates gaps in our lives. When you sin against your spouse in your marriage, it creates a gap. When, when, you, when you continue to sin and fail in certain areas, it creates a gap in your self-identity. So we all need shalom. Shalom as a verb actually means to restore and to make complete. See, we cannot become the perfect stone through our own efforts. We've, we're full of cracks and gaps. We can't fix ourselves perfectly but we have a prince of peace who came down to do that for you do what to do for you and me what we cannot do for ourselves jesus is this arrival of shalom he made peace for the cracks and gaps between sinners and a holy god jesus alone can restore us to wholeness and completeness with our maker i mean listen jesus filled the cracks and gaps in our lives by absorbing cracks and gaps into himself He was so committed to restoring wholeness to us that he became broken in our place. He took our brokenness and he offers us a promise of wholeness. Jesus was that complete and perfect human that I was made to be and I fail to be. And in an act of pure mercy and love, he offers his perfect life as a gift for those of us who would receive it. So he he didn't do it by just walking around and spraying some pumpkin spice for breeze in the air to make us feel good and things smell good. He gave his life, he gave his blood, was shed for God's glory and for uh, for our salvation. See, that's the wonder of Christmas. 
The wonder of Christmas is that the cradle is actually tied to the cross, the cross we deserved that he went to in our place so that we can have peace in him, but we can't have peace in any other place than in the presence of God, knowing him. So if God is true and his peace is so powerful, how do we get it? And so we wanted to highlight three keys to peace. So the first one is recalibrating your concept of God. And because since peace is actually a person, we want to start with a person, and we realize that gaining peace is it's just not simply saying, I know the Prince of Peace, so I'm going to be peaceful. It takes a continual recalibration for us all along our journey. So what does the Jesus, the Prince of Peace, look like to you? Now, I, I, I um, love many things about getting older. I do, because one of them is, is that I can go old school easier than most of you, okay? Um, and I'm going to go old school, and I'm going to show you one of my favorite things. I, I, I won't sing, but I will. One of my favorite things. And one of my favorite things is... It's Flannel Graph yeah. with Wendy! Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> how, how many of you remember Flannel Graph? Oh, thank you. Because in the first service, there wasn't hardly anybody. Okay, so um, I have been teased and mocked by Jeremy Shelley particularly for my love of flannel graph. And, um, and, but that mocking has not diminished my love for it in any way. But what I've done is, um, so this is for you that are, aren't old enough. This is what really cool churches did in the 60s and 70s. Okay, this is what we did for kids before electricity. Okay, okay. Um, but when I, when I had kids, I knew that they needed a stash of flannel figures. So I cut out hundreds of them. I have the entire Bible cut out little pieces. I've got hundreds of them. And just realize, look at my little hands cut for hours and hours these little figures, you know? Yeah. Anyway, but when, I, when the kids were younger, a few of my friends also were flannel graphers. And um, um, we'd get together and we'd do Bible stories with them. And um, as a hardcore flannel grapher, I would even whip out mine for other opportunities. Anytime I could, I'd whip them out. Until the third child came along and then it was like, oh my gosh, it's too much organization. I couldn't get it all together. So, so sorry for Jared. But those of you that are new to the experience, I want you to know what, how it works in Sunday school, okay? So this is what we do. Hey, it's Sunday school time. Hey, kids, we're going to have a time, a Bible story about Jesus. And this story is going to be about the Sea of Galilee and Jesus and, and, and this big, big lake. And so what we do is um, if the kids were really lucky, they even got to put a piece on the board. That was really exciting. So here we go. We have the disciples. Um, they, Jesus had been teaching people all that day, and he needed some quiet time, right? And so he told the disciples, I want you to go on a boat, and I want you to go in this big lake, and I'll meet you on the other side later, but I'm going to have some time. So they took off on the boat, but sometime while they were out in the middle of the lake, it became really, really stormy. And then we'd put a big cloud in the sky, <laughs> and maybe even another one. Okay, look at that. Very, it started to get really scary. The storm started coming. There was even lightning. Okay. All righty. So they were out there, and it was scary, and they were nervous, and they didn't know if they were going to make it. And so it is dark, and then all of a sudden they see um, something from a distance coming closer to them. And, they, and they're like, what is that? Is it a ghost? And then Jesus says to them, no, it's me. And then Peter goes like, oh, and he jumps out. He goes, I want to see you. And he jumps out and starts walking on the water. And then he starts to see the big waves. Oh, I forgot to put the big wave. There's the big wave. He, the big waves are going to take him down. So he thinks he's drowning. Jesus picks up Peter, puts him back in the boat. Peter's like, awesome, God. 
and then um, they all get on the boat, and then they, they swim away, or they, they boat away, or whatever it is. So, yay, okay, so, I know, I know, okay. So I get it, I know technology is, um, is, is really way cooler, but I am still keeping my stash because I know that old school means that maybe my grandkids will find that this is cool, I don't know, but anyway. Um, my purpose being is we, you know, as we outgrew flannel board or whatever Sunday school images that we had of Jesus, we have to keep expanding that, right? These are one-dimensional, and we continually have to change um, our view of what, who Jesus is to us. And, and maybe after church, you had some, another picture of who Jesus was. Anybody remember this one? This is classic Jesus. And I appreciate that it was a more, maybe a more personal picture of Jesus than maybe people had. But it was in every church, every somewhere in the classroom it was there. Um, but we often call this the Olin Mill Jesus um, because of his perfect hair and, you know, that way. Anyway, but is this the image that you are going to go to um, if you get a diagnosis of cancer? If you are going to get to a place where you actually experience peace, you have to recalibrate that image of Jesus. And these previous images of Jesus, they are a starting place. But again, they're one-dimensional. They're very limited. And as something one-dimensional, it doesn't help you when a spouse walks out on you, when a relationship dissolves, or the pressure of a diagnosis becomes your story, or just when something happens that you're, you can't control. We need to know God that is somebody real, who's moving through power in history and in our own lives in power. We need to know more and more that Jesus is gritty. He is personable and knowable. He is the greatest person that you're ever going to know in your life. So is he on board? Do you know that he's on board with everything that matters to you today? But the problem is, is that how many of us believe in Jesus, but we have zero peace in what's going on in our lives right now? So today, you know, Ross and I have been praying that God would reveal himself to you so that you have a 4D knowledge of him as a person that's moving in power, who is already ahead of you in all of your thoughts and your decisions and your experiences that you are going to have in your life. So again, is Jesus on a flannel board somewhere for you? Is he on that wall with that perfect hair? Or is he real and gritty, noble and personable? Because it's this peace that's going to pass all understanding. This is the peace that guards our heart and our mind. And a visual that's been really helpful for me the last few months, um, it, it continues to help me recalibrate my view of Jesus, is from Romans. And I shared this verse before because I just love the contrast. But it's Romans 16, and it says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And I just love how peace and crushing go together. <laughs> and uh, that anything that Satan or anything evil is under our feet because of Jesus. His rule of peace is becoming more and more and more realized in our life. And that is what a commander of wholeness is. Because we know that peace is not the absence of something, it's the presence of someone. It's the presence of God. Last week, I was looking through one of my favorite children's books, and this image, even as an adult, it just helps me to recalibrate. I wanted to share it with you. It, it just adds more dimension to who Jesus is. And in this book, Jesus is talking to a child. He's telling him about who he is. So Jesus says, my face is usually cheerful and gentle. It is never nervous or afraid. That's because I'm strong and confident. My face isn't mean or scary, at least not to you. But if evil comes to hurt you, then I can get angry. And don't be afraid, just ask me to take care of it. After all, love takes care of people, doesn't it? 
And I just think that's a really cool and confident commander of peace. Well, I'm going up in my technology, okay? All right, all right. Okay, so what does the image of Jesus look like for you? It leads to the second key of peace, which means to choose to be under the lordship of Jesus. Now, I hesitated to use the word lordship because, but I don't know a better word to use, and it's essential for us to, to have peace. I know it is definitely much easier to know about God, and it's a whole other thing to call him Lord or your boss or your leader. And that's what we get to do. I mean, it's easier to do and call him Lord when we recalibrate first who he is and have a truer, clearer picture of who he is. And then we can make that decision. Yeah, I do. I want you to be my boss. And it's when we do, that's when we get that true peace. I love Ephesians where it says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, you have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself, he is our peace. So if Jesus is the Prince of Peace... You can't just know about him. You have to get under his lordship. And do you remember that picture of that bird in the waterfall? If you get under that wing, what happens? You're not going to get wet. You know, there could be chaos around you, but you will be safe. You won't experience the effects that so could easily take other people out. And you've probably heard this many times as I have, but do you think it's true? This saying that says, most people want a savior, but not a lord. Because we don't really like somebody telling us what to do. But why do we fight having a boss, especially when we know the results of submitting to to the lordship is peace? A kind of peace that the world can't give, a calmness beyond all understanding. And as long as we're under Christ and under his wing, that we can have that peace. So does that mean that we get to do anything that we want and still have peace? Well, certainly not. Can a couple have a big hairy fight and go ballistic and call each other names and then all of a sudden expect to have peace of God? Of course not. Why? Because they're choosing to get out from under that wing, to choose their own way outside of the Prince of Peace. Can a person charge up all their credit cards and spend more money than they make and just expect to have a peace? No, because they're outside of the will of the Prince of Peace. It is only when we're under the one who's in charge that we experience his peace. So the third key to peace is to bring Jesus into every situation, and we do that in two ways. We start by releasing your concern to Jesus. I mean, how can we talk about peace without talking about Philippians 4? It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It says, Don't worry about anything. I think that's probably the most difficult command in all of the Bible. I mean, those commands about don't murder, don't hate, I mean, those are easy compared to this one, Mm -hmm. right? You have two alternatives in life. You can worry or you can worship. You can pray or you can panic. Now, somehow I try to figure out how to panic and pray, so I'm obviously still growing in this, but you can trust yourself or you can trust God. One way is going to lead to fear and a lack of peace. The other way is going to lead to a peace that passes understanding. Paul tells us that in everything, pray. If you do this, you will experience God's peace, which is greater than the human mind can understand. The peace that passes understanding, when everything says you shouldn't feel at peace, you still do. God's peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So bring Jesus into every situation. Pray. doesn't have to be long. doesn't have to be eloquent. It's just a conscious expression of bringing God into whatever situation you're facing. There's actually... 
a visual that Jesus gives us in Matthew 11 that I think helps us understand this about praying and, and what we're doing in that moment. It says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, this verse always makes me smile because this verse is actually the one that Wendy framed and took with her to her first labor and delivery. A little bit concrete there in the thinking, right? <laughs> but the verse makes a point clear. Come to me. Come to me, Jesus is saying. All of you who are tired and worn out carrying heavy loads, and I'll give you more work to do. I mean, many times that's what we think Jesus is going to do, right? Load us up with a bunch of stuff. We have to do more burdens. But that's not what it says, is it? The promise is, I'll give you rest, is what he says. And this rest is the deepest level of peace of soul rest you can experience. Only God can give you that because he's the one who created you and he knows how to give that to you. You see, the main antidote for stress, the lack of peace you are feeling, is not time management, it's not a program, but it is knowing and encountering the person of Jesus. You see, Jesus tells us actually in the very next verses, he says, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and I'm lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, a, a yoke is, is a wooden frame that you put across two farm animals to help them, you know, pull a wagon or a carriage or a plow. The purpose of the yoke is to actually lighten the load, right? If you're not yoked up, you're pulling all the weight by yourself. If you're yoked up, the weight is halved. It's a symbol of partnership. And this is actually a metaphor for life in many ways. The reason you and I are so stressed and so tired so much of the time is that we're pulling the burden by ourselves. And God never intended for us to carry those burdens by ourselves. So God says, come to me and connect with me, and I'll help you pull it. Every time you're detached from God, you act like it all depends on you, and that doesn't go well. We know that, right? God's back is far stronger than ours. You need him in partnership with you. And you might even say to God in, in, in a kind of a form of a prayer, God, take my heavy burden, and then you name that burden. And you, and you give it to him and say, take it, Jesus, and help me pull this. And in fact, God, I'm smart. I know you're a lot stronger than me, so can you pull most of this weight for me? I mean, see, the issue is in life, you're going to be yoked to something whether you choose to be or not. And what we are usually yoked to in life is the expectations of other people around us. And sometimes in the heaviness we try to solve that heaviness through escape. When our soul and our spirit is tired, we decide to escape for a weekend trip to the Bahamas. But here's the problem. You take you with you. Mm -hmm. So all of that weight goes with you to the Bahamas. You're still carrying it in that moment. So the question is, what or who are you yoked to? If you're yoked to Jesus, what does that look like? How do you maintain that relationship with him? If, is, it still, is he still just a one-dimensional Jesus, or is he pulling with you and there with you? See, Scripture says, be anxious for nothing, for no thing, nothing at all. Rather, in everything, let your requests, your petitions, your supplications be known to God. Trust in God with everything. The only way you will do this is if you believe him to be trustworthy. 
Scripture says, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Whatever is pulling you apart, whatever is creating gaps or cracks in your life, you cast that, you throw that on the person of God and ask him to carry that for you. In every situation with prayer and petition and thanksgiving, present your request to the highest authority, to the commander of peace. So the second way we actually bring Jesus into everything is through this word replacing we're going to talk about. If you don't have something to replace what you give and what you cast upon Jesus, what you cast away, what you release, will just swim right back to you. So we need to replace our anxious thoughts with peaceful thoughts. We need to replace our our thoughts of brokenness with thoughts of wholeness, our thoughts of of, of hate with love, our our thoughts of argument with thoughts of honoring the person with whom we want to argue with. And you practice, it says, the scripture says, you practice, you rehearse in your mind the good you know of God and his ways and of the situations that you're involved with. Paul puts it this way in Philippians 4. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if, and this is a big if, sometimes we have to look really hard for this if in life, if there is any excellence If there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, which he's saying, you've seen me do this, practice these things. And what's the result? The God of peace will be with you. See, with over 790 verses that relate to this idea of peace of God coming to us in the Bible, there is a peace for every single one of the problems we will ever face in life. Whatever problem you have, God has a peace to give you. If you have a broken heart, he's going to come to you with a comforting peace. If you have a confused heart, he's going to come with a guiding peace. If you have an ashamed, guilty heart, he's going to come to you with a forgiving peace. If you have a worried heart, he's going to give you a confident peace. If you have a financial problem, he's going to give you financial peace. And a really good step would be for you to jump in Financial Peace University after the first year as well. Just saying. If you have a physical problem, there's a physical peace promise for you in Scripture. We don't have time to go into all the different kinds of peace he has to... It's hundreds of kinds that when you have peace with God, you get the peace of God in your life. God has a peace for every single problem. So what will you fill your mind and your heart with in your life? This week, every time you catch yourself worrying, anxious, uncertain, take a moment as soon as is convenient and consciously give that worry to Jesus and then replace it. You can do that in many ways, but maybe you could do it by just recalibrating uh, and deepening your understanding of God. Find a verse in Scripture that gives you a promise or a song or an image that reminds you of how good, powerful, protective, loving this commander of peace is for you. Maybe you want to take communion by yourself or with your whole family so that you have a reminder that his brokenness purchased your peace, your wholeness, your healing. Remind yourself that Jesus, your Prince of Peace, is going to stand guard over your mind and heart and personally stand with you, guarding you through everything you will ever face. He will be right there walking with you. You see, this Prince of Peace for us puts an offer on the table for every single one of us. 
it puts an offer on the table of a possibility to not be anxious about anything, to have a peace that is bigger than human comprehension, a peace that passes understanding that will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus, to know his love and his presence is with you and the immense comfort that that is. See, that's the invitation on the table today. That's real. Would you please stand with me as we, uh, as we just close in prayer? And for our prayer right now, I'm just going to be reading a portion of Romans 15, which is kind of Paul's prayer over the people he's writing to and a prayer over us. And he says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, his personal presence with you, you may abound in hope in everything you face and everything you do. So if you're here today and you would say, my Jesus has been one-dimensional. He's been a little felt guy on a board, a guy in a book, just a ritual to me. I want to invite you to do what the song says. Just surrender your life to him and allow him to become personal to you. Receive his forgiveness. He will give you his Holy Spirit. You will encounter him. You will grow in knowing him. And you will know a personal peace that begins to come into your life. If you want to make that decision, just if you've got a friend who, next to you who you know has made that decision, feel free to turn to them and say, would you pray with me as I make that decision to follow Jesus in that way for him to become personal to me? Or come down to one of these lovely people down here, and we would love to pray for you as well to help you in that process. And, and if you're here today and, and you've been struggling with a lack of peace, uh, just a lot of worry, a lot of confusion, a lot of tension, or just a dark time and you don't know what to do with it, one of the beautiful things is you don't carry that alone. God comes to you personally to carry that with you, but he's also given us here, the people who follow him, to carry those burdens with each other. And one of the most beautiful ways you can encounter God and when you're struggling with anxiety and worry is to allow somebody else's faith to pray with you. You don't even, you don't even have to tell the people down here what you need them to pray for. You just say, just say I, I need God's peace. I can't figure out this thing in my life, and I'm just so worried about this. Would you just pray for me? And sometimes God ordains prayer that we do for other people, and his peace, his presence works through us as we pray for other people. So if, if that's you today, don't leave without having a chance for somebody to pray with you, to allow you to encounter God, to join with them in their faith for you to encounter God's personal presence coming to you right now in your situation. Let me just pray a blessing over you. Lord, I pray that each and every person here that you would go right now before them, behind them, with them, in them, with your peace. That we would encounter you as our commander of peace in every area of our lives. And Lord, that through our lives, would you bring your peace to those around us as well. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you're loving Quest Podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information on Quest, who we are, and what God is doing here, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest 
www.thepeopleshouse.org. Thanks for listening.